thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Hey Joe, joke, it's great to be anywhere. So, uh, but no, it's great to be here and as I always say, I think when I come here, uh, there, there are some places you go to and you wield out as the visiting speaker and there are other places you go to and you feel at home part of the family and uh, and that's very much the case here in Barrow so it's a privilege being here with you so wasn't that a great time we've had this morning worshipping God beautiful sense of God's presence in the house and we're deeply grateful for that well uh, I understand that you're about to embark on a new series looking at the small letters, uh, and today it's the book of Titus, uh, chapter 1, and uh, I, I'm just really going to largely touch on the first four verses, because I, I got stuck there and I thought I'll be here all day. Uh, so, I mean, how, how many people fancy being here all day? Yeah, yeah. You, you be careful because I'll keep going all day if you say that. So, uh, always reminds me of when I went to, uh, to Brazil and uh, the guy who was with me, uh, Nildo, my interpreter, uh, you know, he, he would, I would say to him beforehand, how long will I have? And he'll say, just as long as the Holy Spirit's working and moving, just, just as long. And then I'd get into the actual pulpit and he'd lean across and he'd say, finish by nine o'clock, Mark. So, uh, so obviously the Holy Spirit never works at 9.01. You know, he clocks off then. So. Uh, but the first four verses says this, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who doesn't lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, I just thank you this morning for every single person here. And I thank you, Lord, that you know, Lord, exactly where everyone is at. You know, Lord, where the church collectively is at. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, you will come and you will speak this morning. I pray you'll encourage, you'll build up, you'll strengthen, and I pray you'll establish, Lord. And I pray also you'll inspire, Lord, each one of us, Lord, as we've heard this morning, to just keep going forward in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Wonderful. Well, let's kick off at verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect. I, I love that little phrase where it says, to further the faith. I, I want you to know this morning that for each and every one of us, you know, we're in a place where there's always more to discover, always more to know, always fresh revelation of God. It's like we will never, ever exhaust our revelation and knowledge of God and the extent of his love towards each one of us. And I believe it's critically important that we're people who are committed to furthering our faith, to going that little bit deeper, to going that little bit higher, to going that little bit wider in terms of our understanding of who God is and who we are also in Christ. You know, I believe it says here that Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, you know, all that he's, he's simply reminding us thereof is the call that he had upon his life and the call of everyone who is involved in any form of leadership in the church of Jesus Christ is to help people to further their faith. You know, in Ephesians 4, it tells us that uh, God has put certain gifts in the body, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. But, but their job isn't to make themselves look good. Their job is to make the body of Christ look good. Their job is to help people grow in their knowledge and understanding of who God is. You see, in Ephesians 4, it tells us that there are three reasons why leadership is given. The first is this, it is to grow people up. Every single one of us need to grow up. Uh, we need to develop more in our spirituality. We need to develop more in our character, in who we are, in our maturity. You, you know, I think it was Terry Virgo who said these words, that the forward thrust of the gospel is hindered by immaturity. And so often in the church of Jesus Christ, there's immaturity. What, what does that look like? It looks like jealousy. looks like factions. It looks like infighting. looks like gossip. looks like pride. All of these things are, are examples of immaturity. And I believe in all of our lives, we need to constantly be growing up. And leadership is there to help us mature. Another reason why leadership is given in Ephesians 4 is so that we might attain the unity of the faith. You, you know, we might disagree on doctrinal things. You know, if you put, put 10 people in a room together and start talking doctrine, there will be 10 different opinions concerning doctrine. That, that's how it is. What I've actually discovered often is this, that what we fail to do is hold opposites in tension. You, you know, God is a little bit like a diamond. 
Yeah, a diamond is multifaceted. You look at a diamond from one side, you see a certain light uh, coming out of it. You go to the other side of the diamond, it looks different at the other side. It is constantly revealing something different, and it can almost look as though it's opposite. And I believe what maturity does is it takes the opposites and it holds those opposites in tension because it knows that truth often is found in the place of tension. You know, it's interesting, any engineer will tell you that buildings are held together by tension. And so often in life, what we want to do is we want to eradicate the tension sometimes in our differences and our, in our relationships instead of actually holding the, the differences in a place of tension. Incredibly important. And you know, unity is something we commit ourselves to. You, you know, community is actually about our hearts being joined together. We have one particular church I, I minister in, not this church, uh, a, another church with some really good friends. On doc, doctrinal issues, we're most likely poles apart uh, on a lot of things. But what I recognize in them and in the church that they lead it is it's full of the presence of Jesus. They love Jesus with all of their hearts. You know, they have a different understanding of what the Word says to what I would have. But we are able to still have that friendship and that appreciation of one another because we're committed to being joined in heart. You know, I believe unity is essentially about being committed to being joined in heart. When you're friends together, you'll go through anything together. When you're friends together, you can disagree, but that disagreement doesn't hamper your relationship in any way. In any, in, in any way, what it actually does is it strengthens the relationship. The third thing that it says here is that leadership is to equip people for the works of service. You, you know, the leadership isn't about leaders doing all the work. Leadership is about discovering the gifts that are within every single person, identifying those gifts, equipping people to be stronger in their area of gifting and releasing people in their area of gifting so the purpose of God gets fulfilled. I, I love the fact that you have different gifts and ministries to what I have. You know, but if we put them all together and we're faithful in the area that God has given us responsibility to, what actually happens is this, the purpose of God gets fulfilled. What, what hampers the purpose of God being fulfilled often is this, it is when we want to be someone else. It's when we want to operate in their gifting, when we, we, we compare ourselves to others, when we get competitive with one another. And I believe it's so, so important that we remain focused on what God has put before each one of us and we pull our giftings together to see the corporate purpose of God fulfilled. 
It then goes on to say this in Titus, in, in, uh, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. You know, we live in a world where everything is relative and truth is relative. It's like people will say this. They'll say, you believe what you want to believe. I believe what I want to believe. And let's merrily get along together. And it's like there is now no absolute truth. Well, what I want to say today is there is truth. And there is absolute truth. And his name is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It tells us, and we'll be reading it in another month's time when Christmas comes, that the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. I love what the message version says, where it says this, that God put skin on and moved in to the neighborhood. In other words, when the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, it tells us he was full of grace and full of truth. I want to encourage you today that we can be full of grace and we can be full of truth. You know, sometimes you hear people talking in church situations and they say this. They say, are you a grace person? Well, let, let me say this. I am a grace person. I'm a grace person with turbo bells on. I believe that there's enough grace for every single person on planet Earth all however many billion they are, I believe the grace of God is so big that it can rescue anyone, it can straighten out people's lives, and it can embrace and welcome anyone. And so I'm so glad that Jesus is full of grace, but it also says he is full of truth. You know, I believe there are a whole host of things, and we've already touched on it, doctrinal issues where we might have different nuances. But what, what I want to say is this, there are certain historical truths that as Christians we stand upon. Just dead simple. Jesus came into the world. We believe in the truth of the incarnation, that God became human flesh. What we believe is this, he lived a perfect life, that 2,000 years ago he died on the cross, that he was buried in the ground, that three days later he rose again, which is what we've just been singing about the resurrection victory of Jesus Christ. He ascended to heaven, he poured out the Holy Spirit, and one day he will return, and that is the truth on which we build our lives. And Paul said this, he said, I want to know nothing amongst you except for Christ and Christ crucified. You know, I've been around churches long enough now to know that often the conversations and the discussions are about anything but the essentials. In our home church on Thursday night, we were looking at a whole host of theological issues we had a bit of predestination, looking at the whole predestination issue. Then we were looking at, is man a spiritual being? 
Yeah, is it right to be cremated was another one of the questions that, that came up. And then the whole issue of original sin. Well, I want to say this, they're all great things to look at, great things to discuss about, but in actual fact, all of them to a degree are side issues, you know, compared with the central truths of the Christian message. And I believe time and time again, we've just got to come back to those central historical truths. You know, it then goes on to say this, the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. You know, God's design for each one of us is we become more like him. The original design was that we were created in his image to walk on earth like God would walk on earth. You know, I, I love that bit out of the jungle book. I want to walk like you. I want to talk like you. You know, I think that's a great prayer and a great declaration to make over our lives. I want to walk like you, Jesus. I want to talk like you. We want to be godly people. I've always said when they put me in the ground, I don't, I don't want an ep epitaph that says he did this, he did that, he did the other. I want a simple epitaph that says, here lies a godly man. Because godliness is what we're called to, to be like him. It's all about our character. You, you know, never ever follow gifting. Gifting is great, but gifting is just a gift from God. Yeah, ne ne never because someone is incredibly gifted. Yeah, sort of sink your all into that. But watch the character of people. Watch their godliness. Watch how they respond under pressure. Watch how they forgive their enemies. Watch how they bless those who persecute them. Watch how they treat those who are marginalized and those who are forgotten in life. Watch how people live. You see, your anointing, your gifting will take you so far. But the only thing that will get you to your destiny is character. It is what God has actually built into your life where you reflect his likeness and reflect his nature. And leadership and ministry is about establishing people in truth, but establishing God on the inside of people. It's about impartation. It's about taking what it, we have of God and putting what we have of God inside other people. Then goes on. To say this in, in verse 4, to Titus, my true son, in our common faith. Really, really interesting. Here, Paul the Apostle starts to talk about Titus, his true son. There are others in Scripture he talks in those kind of terms about, like Timothy. You, you know, and, and here there's a sense of affection. 
There's a sense in which their relationship goes far deeper than just two people who come together to do some work together. It is almost like there is a closeness, a depth of relationship there. Paul said this, he said, there are many teachers, but there are few fathers. You, You know, what I believe more and more, the older and older that I get, is this, that we need more and more fathers and mothers in the house of God. We, we need those who are able to care, pro- provide, protect, grow up, mature, release. You, you know, the whole thing about fathering is this. It's not that you keep a son as a son because in the natural order, every father eventually becomes a father. That's how the natural order is. And so spiritually it's the same, that we raise people up so that they too also can become fathers and can become leaders in the church of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a relationship that we all need in our lives, three kinds of relationship. You see, every Paul needs a Barnabas. Barnabas was just like a father to Paul. You you know, it was Barnabas who went to the apostles and in one sense almost pleaded Paul's case for him. You you know, you've got to remember when Paul was first converted, he he was a guy who'd been responsible for the death of Christians. And so he rocks up at the Apostolic Council uh, and, and they're sort of thinking, whoa, we, we don't know if we want any dealings with this guy whatsoever. This guy is a dangerous guy. Is he here undercover to try and get on the inside? And it's Barnabas who pleads his case. You know, Barnabas, this great quality was this, that he could see the grace of God within people. And I believe that we need to have eyes that are open to see where the grace of God is working, to see the potential in every single person that we deal with. Not see them just where they are now, but see them where they're they're going and where they could be under the grace of God. Paul Barnabas was able to do that to Paul. He was a father to him. And then it goes on. You know, the, another relationship we all need is this. Every Paul needs a Silas. And the great thing about Silas and Paul is this. They are brothers in arms together. It's a little bit like the guys going away to excel over the last couple of days. Those kind of things are more about brotherhood, about being together, about rubbing shoulders with each other, about being in the trenches together. And every Paul needs a Silas. They were in prison together, and under the grace of God, they orchestrated a prison breakout whilst they were there, singing hymns at midnight, which is mad. But singing hymns at midnight after you've been beaten up and thrown into prison is incredibly insane. But it's good to have some insane brothers that you do some daft stuff with in the grace of God. 
And the third relationship we all need is this. Every Paul needs a Timothy. You know, we all need to be in a place where we have someone who fathers us, we have a brother alongside us, but we also start the fathering and the mothering process in the life of someone else. We take them on a journey of faith, a journey of discovery. We start to disciple them. We start to take everything that we have learned from those who've mentored us and developed us, and we start to it into the lives of others. These relationships are incredibly important. Quickly round up now. Or else I'll be going all day. (laughs) Then says grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Saviour. What are we called to do in life? We're called to drop grace and peace into people's lives. It's more than just a nice, trite little saying. It has got incredible power within it. You you see, grace for me is this. It is far more than just having your sins covered. Grace is the administration of heaven into a person's life. Grace is where we take of what is God and we administer that into people's lives. Someone gives someone a prophetic word that is the administration of grace into a person's life. You minister healing to someone that is an administration of God's grace. Grace does this in a nutshell. It reaches all, every single person on the planet. There is not a single person on this planet who the grace of God cannot reach. That includes, to be slightly controversial, it would include even people like Vladimir Putin. No matter how horrific the things he's doing at this moment, the grace of God can reach every single person. Paul the Apostle is a great example of a murderer who comes under the grace of God and his life is transformed. And the world as we know it transformed through that. So the second thing about grace is grace transforms people's lives. Christianity isn't about behavior modification. Christianity is about only one thing can change your life, and that is the grace of God. And the more we allow grace to run freely, actually it doesn't lead to a license to sin. Because the word of God says this, that the grace of God teaches us to say no to all ungodliness. We need to release people to God's grace. Third thing is it empowers you inwardly. And I love the fact God's grace does that many, many times in my life. More times than I can number, I felt as though I've reached the end of the road. You you know, sometimes doing what I do is tough, hard work. And sometimes I reach the end of the road. And when I reach the end of the road, what I discover is this, there's more grace. 
and that more grace keeps propelling me forward. And I want to say the grace of God will always move you forward. The final thing about grace is this. It abounds. There's always more than enough grace available to you. But not only grace, but peace. And with this, I conclude. The peace of God, it covers three parts. We've touched on it a little bit this morning. God's peace covers your past. No matter what has gone on in your past, no matter how horrific it might have been, God's peace is available to cover your past. Covers your present. You know, there are things in all of our lives, issues we face that can cause us anxiety and cause us worry, but God's peace is available for our present, for our here and now. But you know, as believers, we've got peace for the future. Not just the future here on earth, but we've got peace that actually what we've sung about this morning is true because he rose again. We also have the confidence that we will rise again. Because he died and defeated death, we know that in our own lives, death no longer has its sting and we will see him face to face. Not only will we see him, but we'll see those who were precious to us on earth, and we will be reunited with them as well. And every tear will be wiped away. I tell you, that gives us great peace. And this morning, grace and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen.